Hi, I'm Mel Todd Wood. At CD Media, we've decided never to have a paywall on any of our sites. I hate those. But we have to make money, so we do have advertisements. But some people don't like ads. So what can you do? You can sign up for our no-ad subscription. It's a few bucks a month. You go to the top of any of our sites and sign up for the subscription, and you get access to all of our websites, all of the news from around the world. This includes our Eastern European, Israeli, Balkan sites. It includes armedforces.press. It includes all the U.S. papers that we've opened, the Miami Independent, the Connecticut Sentinel, the Georgia Record, the Manhattan.press, and the, those that are yet to come in the pipeline, which will be opening soon. So you get all this access to fantastic news from around the world with no ads, no display ads, no pop-up ads. I think you'll love it. Please check us out. It helps support CD media, independent media, and basically confronting the propaganda that's being put out by the corporate media. Thank you. Now let's get to our guest. So today in our global conversation in plain sight, we have invited our dear friend, Homera Salier, to our show. Uh, she is living in Switzerland. Homera, how are you, dear? We have been friends forever. I'm fine. Thank you so much for having me. Oh, I'm so glad that you're here because you're going to give us a perspective and we're going to talk about the state of the world uh, and what's going on. You and I have worked together for uh, almost uh, 25 years now on uh, human trafficking on the street and over the Internet. You're the president and founder of Innocence in Danger, you know, tackling all of the harm that kids, um, kids find themselves in on the Internet as well as on the street. So let, and, but let's today, let's first turn to uh, Iran. You are originally from Iran during the, the, uh, the fall of the Shah back in the 1980s. You and your late sister, Goli, were sent out of Iran for your safety at that time. Let's talk about how you see, you know, through, through the prism of your life experiences, going back so many decades and taking a look at what's happening in Iran today. Um, what's happening in Iran today for me is devastating because I, I have, as you said very rightly, we were studying French before the revolution in France, uh, but we were going to Iran every three months to visit our family. But um, when the revolution took place, we had to stay outside of Iran and I had to, my twin sister who is no longer alive uh, and myself, we had to settle down in France. We built families, we had kids and everything. So, um, and ever since then, I have not been able to go back to Iran because I chose to work in human rights. I chose to work for victims of trafficking and victims of sexual abuse. And uh, each time I attempted to go to my country, I was told that uh, in Iran, human rights and people who work in human rights, even it's for kids and it has nothing political, are, are not welcomed and that I would risk to be jailed and never come out and I had a double passport. I still have a double passport, French and Iranian. And double passport people were said not to come because they take they are taken hostage and so on. So, however, I have been, just imagine Christine, I have been dreaming of going back to my country and speaking my own language and do what I have learned to do for kids all over the world, for the kids in my own country for 43 years mm -hmm. and it has not been possible because of this regime uh, who is who is 
no longer has, it never had its place in Iran. But at the beginning, unfortunately, those Iranians who uh, thought that the Shah was not respecting human rights, that the Shah was, um, had too much authority, was too dominating, and they chose somebody like this Ayatollah Khomeini back then, uh, mm -hmm. they, they have now learned that this regime is the most fierce um, regime ever capable of atrocities that nobody even dreamt of during the Shah's uh, reign in Iran. So they regret it. They regret it, especially the youth, because the youth who are paying the price of what happened, they are paying the price of the bad choices of their parents back then and they are being murdered Let, yeah. let's talk about that because when you when your mother was a young woman you didn't have to you you could wear western clothes you didn't have to put anything on there were no, no required hajibs no uh, and then during the, the fall of the shah there there was at that point in time in the late 70s they were taking the daughters out of the homes of those men who worked for the shah at the time and 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 their sons as well and taking them to the to the jails and beating them so this oppression um post the fall of the shah in the 1970s has only increased through the years so when you take a look at the, this this young woman uh masa amini who, who was picked up by the morality police. Uh, and she was obviously beaten. Um, the father has tried to get an autopsy and has been refused to, you know, they've refused to give it to him. But at the same time, he saw, I guess, when her body was handed over to the family, he saw that her the bottoms of her feet were, were beaten uh, and, and heavily bruised. Homera, when you see that the, the the demonstration and the women cutting off their hair in in Tehran and in other places across the country, what does that mean uh, culturally to cut off your hair in public? You know, culturally, it it. I mean, we never because Christine, we I was not brought up in this kind of situation. I was. I was living in Iran as my mother and everybody around me as I am living now here in Europe and even when I, you know, anywhere like you. Mm -hmm. So a, a hair, if the men in Iran, actually if the mullahs in Iran get aroused by, by women's hair, they have a problem. Mm -hmm. I mean, they should go to see a doctor because in the whole world, uh, women have their hair out and men doesn't rape them because they see their hair but in iran perfume was forbidden music is i mean everything is arousing these mullahs so i think they are the problem they have a very serious problem cutting the hair is only a symbol of what happened to mahsa because mahsa got murdered because she was beaten up and she had head injury only because her hijab was not exactly as this police called morality police who are the murderers they considered that her hijab was not well well covering her hair so cutting the hair is only to say we don't want this hair if this if the hair is what makes you kill us we don't want our hair we are all mahsa 
you know, the hair is nothing. But so this is very symbolic. Hair has never been a problem in my culture. I mean, for heaven's sake, look at the paintings and the miniatures of uh, Persian culture, Persian civilization. Women have their hair out. We never had a, a problem with showing our hair. So what does this tell you when you when when it's not just the women that are on the streets demonstrating about this and the women ripping off the hajibs and cutting their hair in public and 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 it's not just the the demonstrations are not just focused on Tehran it's across the country exactly. it's united this and the young men are on the streets with the women and the mothers are on the streets what is that I mean do you, do you see this as a great awakening against, yes, against see, the regime this is this is a revolution this is not only about hijab this is not uh, this is about the brutality and the atrocities that the iranian people have endured for 43 years they these people have no rights they are poor whilst iran is a very very wealthy country with an with, uh, unbelievable culture but people are poor they don't have to eat. There is no medication for them. And when the U.S. sanctioned uh, Iran with, uh, you know, no medication, no this, no that, you know, it's not the mullahs that the U.S. sanctioned. It's the people. Because the mullahs, they come out and they have a lot of money because they steal the money of the, of the people. And they have private planes who bring doctors and medication for them. My uncle died. They had to cut his two legs because they couldn't reach antibiotic and penicillin to him when he had a problem with his diabetes. So this is the real life, everyday life of many Iranians like myself. But the sanctions only meant something to the people. So what is happening today is that Iranians do not want this regime anymore. They want freedom. They want to live. They want to be able to travel. They want to be able to have no hijab. They want to be able to um, live like we used to live before. And it is a revolution. It is no longer a problem uh, with hijab, with the chador, with all these things. It's much bigger. It is in every... Uh, city of Iran, I am hearing to the news that I get, that we get, mm -hmm. men, women, old people, young people, students. So it, it is a revolution. And this is why it is very important for them to be heard across the globe. So, so what is the reaction to what's going on in Iran from, from Western Europe? And, and, and what's your opinion of the way that the Biden administration is addressing this? Well, the Biden administration, I will tell you what I think about it a little, uh, after I tell you what, how it is in Europe. And in Europe, uh, there have been gatherings in every big city uh, in Europe. Uh, some governments like the UK government, like um, the German government have decided to put sanctions on those who are committing these atrocities to the people. I don't know what it means. I don't know how it will be translated into real action. Um, mm -hmm. And the, at the parliament, uh, the deputies, the senators in this or that government are, um, you know, are, are saying, are having beautiful words, are... Um, they say that they stand with Iran so far and so forth. Um, 
However, I don't know how it will be translated uh, within the governments, because as you know, Christine, due to what the NATO and the US did to that region, Ukraine, Russia, uh, there is a problem crisis with gas and oil. Mm -hmm. And because uh, the world has blindly, unfortunately, since ever, it's not new, has always been prostituting itself. The leaders have been prostituting themselves for the use of gas and oil. Now they are looking into gas and oil in Iran, who, which is a country in that region. Mm -hmm. And because they may need Iran's gas and oil, they are negotiating behind the scenes. Macron is doing it. Macron took a picture, Emmanuel Macron, president of France, was in pictures with Raisi, who is a murderer in the, at the UN. And um, President Biden said, I stand with the people of Iran. But at the same time, he's negotiating with, the, with this regime to lift sanctions uh, to, for the nuclear deal with Iran, which is very irresponsible. And it's a total failure of leadership on his part. Um, just like Obama did a couple of years before. Obama, it was in 2016 or 17, I don't remember, Obama betrayed the uprising of the people in Iran because he was hoping to have a, a deal with, uh, with the mullahs back then. It didn't happen. It won't happen this time either. These mullahs have to go. And I believe whoever comes after these mullahs can have a better condition, uh, better intelligence, a little bit of vision to sit at a table and discuss a real nuclear deal with other countries, not the mullahs. But any, so any, is, is, there, is, is it too soon to see somebody rise up? Or are there, is there any conversation in Iran now about if the, if this is a successful to get rid of the mullahs in, 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 in for a you know a, a successful revolution internal revolution is it possible to have somebody rise up is it or just too soon? Um, I mean maybe maybe it's too soon or maybe if there is somebody I don't know of the person I mean I know that there is uh, the the uh, Reza Pahlavi, who lives in the U.S., who says that if Iran wants them back, they are happy to go back. But this I is Shah, this is the Shah's family, the Shah's son. But mm -hmm. I hope he will do more uh, to to. I mean, he he has said some very powerful things to President Biden lately, and he is totally right in what he says. He says any money that you will fuel into Iran will be uh, will go in the bullets, which will kill our children and our people. And he is right. So there is him eventually, um, eventually. Uh, but I don't see anybody else that I know of. There is this woman, Rajavi or something like that, with a, with, who has a scarf. Definitely not. I mean, she is a mujahideen herself. She is, she is, no. If she takes the power, Iran is not going to change for better. Iran needs somebody who is enlightened, you cannot be a religious and, and govern a country. Religion and politics cannot be mixed together on a daily life decisions. It's not possible. So that it's, other which, woman, is, which it has been in Iran for 43 years. Which has, yeah, exactly. Which has been in Iran for 43 years. And, you know, religious people, they should stay in the mosques. And if they want to pray and cry and hit themselves, 
they are free to do that, but it cannot be imposed on an entire population. And it, you know, it, it also sends a very wrong message to all the other countries in the region, because let's not forget, women are today protesting in Afghanistan against the Taliban's and the atrocities they are going through since years ago. Pakistan, all these countries, I mean, for heaven's sake, can't we get rid of this um, theocracy, which is killing populations and is dangerous? I mean, the, the regime in Iran is a terrorist organization, like the Taliban's are. How can the world, how can we turn a blind eye on that? How can we promise anything to our children, to our grandchildren? What is the world we are living for them? Let me ask you this, because <clears throat> we are on the verge, uh, I mean, the conversations are there, the threats from Putin, and, and th those are his words. I mean, he's he's brought up nuclear um, warfare, and we have Zelensky pushing back, and Poland's asking for the U.S. to do a preemptive, and then people use the words like nuclear, limited nuclear warfare, as if there is such a thing. What's the conversation in Europe that you're seeing about what's going on in Ukraine, NATO, Russia right now in terms, I mean, you, know, cause you, you talk to a lot of people across Europe. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, I, 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 I have to say that in Europe, at least around me, uh, people are not so big fans, such big fans of Zelensky because they, many people have had, have read history books uh, read the news and get information not only from CNN and NBC and BBC and all this, uh, you know, uh, me media who is not covering the, the truth. Uh, people know that uh, there was a treaty of Minsk in 2014, a treaty which was empowered in 2016. And if the treaty had been respected by NATO and all the countries, including the US, all the countries who have signed it, the treaty would have prevented NATO or the US to even consider bringing Zelensky into NATO. This was, this was all in the treaty. So mm -hmm. the one who started um, the attacks for many people around me in every other country, not only where I live, in France, in Germany, it, it's not Putin who, who, who started the attacks, it's, the, it's NATO and the US. And Zelensky, he is, I'm sorry to say, I mean, my God, Zelensky has a very bad reputation, <laughs> very, mm -hmm. very bad reputation. Um, today, I saw pictures of Zelensky's men who are killing, what, whoever they are killing, with bracelets, with Nazi... Uh, Insignia? You know. Yeah. I mean, you know... Those who don't see these things is because either they are blind, they are ignorant, they don't have um, the education to understand that uh, what is the past of this country. They don't know history, so they should not even talk. So the, 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 the story with that region is also only about gas and oil and, and economical interest of uh, the U.S. and of uh, NATO member countries. That's it. It's nothing so, else. So is it in the press over there? Because I wrote about this back in, I think it was March. 
the, there were Macron and, and the, the, the president of Finland were talking to Putin. Several world leaders were. And in all of their conversations, we were told this initially off the record, and then the Finnish president went public with it, that in the conversations with Putin, Putin said to them he wanted to hear from Washington. He didn't just want to talk to those world leaders. He wanted to talk to Joe Biden. And and what, what has hit me is why hasn't Biden picked up the phone? If this could stop this, if we could de-escalate this before, before somebody makes a grave mistake, then yes. there's no turning back, okay? Exactly. Are, do, do Europeans talk about that? Because this is in your backyard. Well, the, I have to say that the uh, popularity of President Biden in Europe is very, very low because he has not taken a stand on this topic that you are mentioning, NATO, Russia, Ukraine. Mm -hmm. He has not taken a stand uh, about uh, the nuclear deal with Iran. What is he doing? Well, he he has basically said uh, uh, um, that if 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 Putin, you know, does a does a strike, that you know they'll, they'll be held to pay. In so many words, he has said. No, that. but there is a way to to start talks today right. to prevent the escalate. That's something that we cannot go backwards anymore. After that happens, why isn't he? I mean, if he wants to leave a legacy in this world. His legacy could be the peace that he will bring to the world and not the number of wars he will start or aggravate like Obama did, even though Obama got the Nobel Prize of Peace. I never understood why. But, but you know, but President Biden could at least think he's, he's of a certain age. Uh, he could have the ambition to leave a beautiful legacy behind him. If I were him, I would... I would decide to pick up the phone, talk to Putin, and try to find a way to bring peace to that region. I would pull out of the nuclear deal with Iran, and then he would be one of the greatest presidents of all times, but not by doing what he's doing. Not by doing what he's well, doing. Well, culturally in America, things are changing fast because we have an emphasis on, you know, silencing doctors that disagree with the COVID yeah. narrative coming out of Washington, D.C. or the WHO. We have the indoctrination of very, very young children under the age of five for the sex and uh, sex education that is quite explicit. Uh, so it's a different it's a different culture. In, in America at this point. I'm not certain that we have the moral compass to see what you're seeing, you know, collectively, because we have so much aggravation going on and, and we're in the middle of the midterms right now. My, my fear is that somebody makes a grave mistake and God help us all. And exactly. Somebody makes a big mistake. and God, I mean, I, I personally think that I'm not the only one that Putin has been very patient. I'm sorry. I mean, uh, look at what happened. The Nord Stream pipelines blown up. Uh, the the bridge in Crimea broken. Let me ask you this: in, in in Europe, do Europeans think that Russia did that? I mean, do they? No. Do they? No, they don't think that Russia did the Nord Stream uh, 
I mean, Russia is not going to attack itself. I mean, stupid. Why would they, why would he do that? No, no, they don't think it's it's uh, it's Russia at all. There are even theories on that. You know, there are even yeah. I mean, people who are not just uh, Homer Sellier. There are politicians and deputies and senators who are openly claiming that Nord Stream was the U.S. behind it. And and the Crimea bridge was a combination of all these countries that, you know, no, no, of course not. Nobody, I don't know anybody who thinks it was Russia here. So is is there is there any um is there any light at the end of the tunnel, do you think, Homera? I mean, is it we have the, the revolution going on inside Iran. We have people waking up to, to because of the North Stream and because of the bridge. Christine, what I want to say is that where we are today in Iran and in Russia and in Ukraine is a place where all of us, even in the U.S., even if the U.S. is another continent and it's far, we can all be there. You, I mean, everybody can be where these countries are today. You know why? Because we all were where you are today. It can happen. Things turn. The only way to prevent this, the only way to um, awaken minds is to tell people that they should take a stand, but not blindly for what is being said to them on CNN, I'm sorry, I have nothing against CNN, but I mean, you know, on, on the mass media, because the mass media will always say what he, he what they are told by the government. But today in the US, we have a State Department with all due respect, who's not standing up against real, you know, ethics for anything. We have a government who's not doing this. I mean, Kamala Harris, what is she waiting for to say something? She's the vice president of the government, for heaven's sake. She's a woman. Mm -hmm. And she self-proclaimed herself um, defensor of uh, women's rights, like Michelle Obama and Oprah Winfrey, and they're all silent. You know, it says a lot about, about who these people are. Well, they have been silent on Iran. That's true. They have been very silent on Iran because they know that your government is negotiating with the mullahs behind the scenes. So they are maybe less hypocritical than those who said, we stand by Iranian people, but, but we pay these people to buy the bullets who will kill the population. So all I want to say is that it is upon us, we people, we still have a right to vote. I don't believe in votes without fraud i mean be it in the u.s be it in france you mean with you mean with fraud you mean yeah, with, exactly with fraud, with fraud. Uh, exactly fraudulent so, voting yeah i mean uh, i i do i do think that yeah if, uh, when people vote the results of the elections can be totally um contradictory with what the population voted for um however i would like to invite everybody who listens to this program to decide to learn by herself, by himself, about the treaties of Minsk, about the vaccinations, about LGBT+, about Iran, about you know, all these issues, because we are all 
concerned because our children are, our grandchildren are, and those who are leading uh, the world have failed. They have failed our children, they have failed us, they have failed our well-being and our security. They have proven it. Look, look what is happening to the world today. It is. It is extraordinary. The, the last almost three years now has, has proven that we really um, need to do a better job. You know, I mean, diplomacy has a meaning. Why is not diplomacy working? Why don't we sit around the table and talk to Putin and the guy, the Zelensky guy, and find a solution which is not killing each other, which is not blowing the pipelines, and which will result in not dealing with the mullahs in Iran because we have gas for the whole world. What you know, I was, I, was, I was thinking a couple of weeks ago, uh, a lot of people didn't like the late Richard Holbrook's style when he was negotiating for peace in the Balkans years ago. <clears throat> and when, I think it was when Hillary Clinton came in as Secretary of State, she hired Richard, um, <clears throat> which I guess he kind of, he rubbed shoulders the wrong way with the with some of the Obama people. But Richard's style of getting the people in the Balkans, he would throw them into the room, basically lock the door and say, don't come out and I'm not leaving the room until you people come to some, some end goal here because the end goal is we're going to end this. Exactly. <laughs> and I keep on thinking to myself, that's what we need between Zelensky and Putin. It's basically yeah. to say, okay, fine, to do whatever it takes to get Putin to the table. You've got to do whatever it takes to get Zelensky to the table. You've got to bring these people together and you're going to have to cut a deal. Even Kissinger said in Davos earlier this year that Zelensky might have to give something up. He yeah. might have to give up Crimea. He might yeah. have to just, sorry, that's a, that's the way it works. Yeah. But, yeah. you know, when, when they blew up the bridge, I thought, well, that's a, that's a symbol of something. Yeah, that's a symbol that's saying you're not going to get Crimea. And I thought this wasn't Russia. No, this couldn't no. be Russia. It this doesn't make any, no. it doesn't make any sense. But that's the type of negotiators that we need in the room is to force people who are stubborn to sit down and say, no, this is the 21st century. No, we're not going to use nukes. You guys are going to have to work it out. And the rest of the world wants you to for the survival of humanity. Absolutely. Absolutely. Either somebody does that, either we go that road or it's it could be the end of many things. I mean, mm -hmm. something mm -hmm. catastrophic could happen. Exactly. I, I, I don't understand that nobody is is trying peace. I don't understand that why nobody is trying peace. We may not have enough women in the room <clears throat> yeah. to negotiate. I hate to say that. And I don't normally think like, think that way. But in, in this particular case. I, I'm not. I'm not seeing enough people uh, sit down and say, "No, no, what, what what we're doing is absolutely wrong. This is unnecessary." Because it is. It's unnecessary. Exactly. It makes no sense whatsoever. There's so much suffering now in Switzerland. We can't. We can't end this conversation without talking about the the women and the children who have come to Switzerland from Ukraine. How are they doing? They are doing well. I have to say, I'm quite happy to see how Switzerland uh, welcomed. Uh, a number of kids who were orphans, but they were orphans, many of them before this mm -hmm. situation. They are not orphans due to the war. Um, and then a number of families, the kids are going to school. Um, they are learning German because they are, I mean, I can only talk about the regions I know of. Mm -hmm. um, 
and they are when I, I see them sometimes because we organize outings with them we go to parks we go to um you know have fun we go to have pizza and they they are doing fine they are getting used to their lives and they are being well treated uh, however the, what struck me, and I totally understand these people because I was, I am like them. They all want to go back. They all are waiting. They are longing for the day they can go back to their countries and speak their language. And I totally understand that as a, mm -hmm. as an Iranian. I'm, you know, so. But they are doing well. The kids are amazing. They are. We are organizing actually an art exhibition for them because they wanted to thank me. And they they did a, a joint drawing, which is breathtaking, breathtaking. So we decided to to offer them all the tools they need so they can paint and do an exhibition and open accounts for each one of them so they can sell their work if they want, keep the money until they are 18. So it's going well. I mean, you know, it's also beautiful to see the solidarity and the empathy of people around me. In Switzerland, I'm very amazed. There is a lot of kindness. There is a lot of um, goodwill around. So they are doing well. That's great to hear. I would love to see some of their pictures when the, when they when I you get the collection. You can maybe write something up for us with the pictures, okay. the stories okay. of that. Homer Celia, my dear friend. Um, we talk often and express ourselves because we're so concerned for the children yeah. and the next generation yeah. and also just what seems to be unacceptable and tolerable leadership at this point in time across the globe. Thank you so much for coming on. Thank you for having me, Christine. Thank you. May our voice be heard. Thank Absolutely. you. Thank you so much.